Welcome back, everyone, to the Xamarin Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest and greatest in mobile development for Xamarin developers, covering the world of Xamarin, .NET, Azure, and more. I'm Matt Sokup. And I'm James Montemagno. How's that toilet paper supply, Matt? You know what? My wife and I went and stocked up at the beginning of March just because, you know, one, it was toilet paper time, and two, it was, well, the beginnings of bad things coming down the pipe. You kind of knew it, so we got a little bit extra, and so we're good. How about you, James? How are things? Well, you know, I, I like to ask this question to all my friends because sometimes, you know, some people have some extra so I can always send you a, send you a, you know, a roll in the mail and then that's like a great gift. Um, we're good though. We, we luckily had gone, we do Costco runs about, I don't know, every three months or so. So we went to Costco in like January before anything. And if you go to Costco, those Costco rolls, they last you forever. There's only two people in our house, like, like you two. And so the, the toilet paper lasts quite a long time. Um, but we, we, we recently were able to find some, some sitting around, so it's, it's not too bad. We're, we're good. We're, we're restocked up. We're good for, good for another few months. So we should be good to go, but we're not hoarding at all. We just, we're just like, Oh, we'll just take one. Cause you can't really hoard anymore. Cause you can just only buy one anyways, which is all that we would have ever bought anyways. So we're just trying to do what we would normally do. That's what we're trying to right. do. Right. And you really can't hoard when you live in the city in Seattle, because the, the places just aren't big enough to put any toilet paper more than you can handle anyway. It's true. It's very true. That's <laughs> like, this all, we got four rolls today. That's all you, that's all you get. Next four customers, that's all you get. So, yep. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, we got a lot of news. We just updated the list. Got a new, some new releases. You want to hop into new releases first? Yeah, you bet. Um, One release, you always got to look forward to uh, when Visual Studio comes out in the stable channels and both on Mac and Windows, there's new releases out there. Mac is 8.5 and VS Windows is 16.5. Unfortunately, they kind of went out of cadence. They're not exactly double numbers anymore, but still kind of, you still know what's going on. Um, Big updates for Windows is um, Hot Restart now is out for good. It's production beta or production beta it is production and um hot restart's always something that i used to get confused with hot reload uh probably because it shares the name hot and hot restart though is its own really really cool things it's it's a little bit at least it took me a little bit more to understand what it's doing and hot restart it publishes the bundle directly without having to restart and so it makes like the deploy times and everything when you're when you're debugging faster and that's a boon to the debug cycle and it also makes it able to once you deploy your ios app you can do it from windows you can then debug without having a mac on your ios device um neat right super neat and yeah, uh, it's super cool it's like um it's like, so you don't have to go through the full compilation style. So you don't have to go through the whole shenanigans. It just really tightens up the loop. So it's like that special technology that inherently in that technology of making builds faster enables this other piece of technology, you know, to, to just kind of plug in your iPhone, which is really cool. Right. And um, I guess that's where the hot comes from. It's quicker, hotter, faster debugging. At least that's mm-hmm. how I think of it. Yeah. So... And there's another thing that's kind of, at least when I think of it, it's kind of sort of like the hot restart is the Android apply changes. And what that's doing is you make a change to your bundles of Android or your resources, I should say, and it then automatically applies those changes. 
So that's over on the Android platform side. If you're developing forms, that's on the Android head. And that's actually kind of that also really is going to help your development cycle. Then you can make some changes over in your resources and you don't have to stop redeploy and in order to see them. So there's a lot of productivity um, enhancements just with those two. And another one that's going to help out is the, we mentioned it, I think last time, is the multi-target XAML hot reload. Or in other words, have your iOS device or iOS simulator, your Android emulator, make a change in XAML, see them both at the same time, multi-targeting. That's pretty cool. Um, it's going to help with the, the look and feel. I mean, hot reload, super, it's hot. And uh, just be able to see it on both devices at the same time. I mean, that's that's going to... It's, it's these little things that are magical. <laughs> it's some, yeah. I'm not sure who says that all the time, but it's, it's magical. It's delightful. It's magical. Um, <laughs> so, and um, the Android team, though, has been really hitting it um, faster. Android startups. And we'll talk a little bit about what the, those are in, in a bit, what, how that can happen. And um, there is XAML document outlines, at least on uh, Visual Studio Windows. is um, So the document outline is kind of going to be like, what, what would you say? That's in the gutter? Where you see that, James? Is that where it's in called? The gutter, in the in the side pad. Side pad. All right. That's yeah, that's the pad. that's a terminology for it. And what it does is just gives you the outline of all the elements so you can kind of give a quick quick feel of where things are. So it, it's like a hierarchy of the elements. So you can see all your children and all their parents and siblings of the main XAML elements right together in the side pad of the editor. And then something that, I don't know, is this should be celebrated or not, is that you can get the XAML previewer opt-out. So that way it loads up your XAML files quicker. And uh, a lot of people just go right to the editor. They don't go to the previewer at all. And um, you can now opt out of that. So those are pretty big changes over on the Windows side. Mm -hmm. And uh, with Mac, there's some where um, Xcode 11.4 is now um, supported. You have a new version control, which brings it um, to the same one that Visual Studio is using. And then everybody, everybody likes the themes, right? And you have new light and dark editors to match Visual Studio Windows. Going to make both Mac and Windows look exactly the same. That's that's the target. That is what we are working towards at Microsoft, the exact same look. Yeah, and you know, a lot of like you said, a lot of these changes are on both IDEs when they ship new new features across. But then there's always stuff you know that's specific to Mac, like the Xcode support that ships there, the different you know editor updates, and we only mentioned a few of them. And there's tons more, so please go read the documentation. Um, there's some great blog posts that Pierce put out, but then also the release notes are just full of goodies because, like, we didn't even mention the crazy enhancements for Azure Functions, for ASP.NET, for like everything else that's in Visual Studio for Mac, right? There's so much in there, which is crazy. And, you know, they keep going. You know, you have not only the, the current uh, releases, but then new previews come out, Matt, because why not? And then you got Visual Studio 16.6 preview and um, also 8.6 preview. So now how this works, and we've mentioned it before, is that the first preview is shipped like the same day and it's basically the same exact version of whatever the current stable is. And that just gives like a week to sort of just, you know, uh, get ready for the next one. And this is how the teams work. So 
um, then when preview two comes out, that's when the new stuff comes out. And that's when a lot of the new features land and you're going to continue to see a lot more cool stuff come out already. Um, especially on Mac, there's some um, new things like a new P list editor, which is really cool for iOS development. But there's also my new favorite feature is a new integrated terminal. So if you're doing Azure function work or you just want to drop down a terminal at any time, especially for Git stuff, it's right there. It's just a pad. It's just like a boom terminal. There's a bunch of other cool stuff coming out too. Now, Windows has had a few more releases in the preview branches, and there's a whole bunch of stuff for Xamarin developers. It's all building really on top of what you just said, Matt. The first thing is, you know, we have that document outline. And now there's a brand new live visual tree. And this is really cool because a live visual tree, when you're doing XAML hot reloading, enables you to see the document outline and then tap on an element and go straight to the code. So it'll show you what's live on the page. So it's like a live version of the document outline, which is really cool. Um, There's also some new hot reload options um, inside of the preview. Um, there's, uh, Maddie was talking about this on our .NET community standup. And what she was saying is that right now a few features are enabled, but even more will be lit up. So right now how XAML hot reload works is it reloads your whole page. But when you flip on the new preview version of it, you can toggle it on. It will do incremental changes. So it will only diff just like the single line of code and it'll be even faster, which is really, really cool. There's a bunch of optimizations there and that also lights up the live visual tree. Um, beyond um, Xamarin form stuff with the hot reloading, there's new environmental settings, um, which is really cool when you're working with the iOS remoted simulator. It allows you to toggle accessibility features, light mode, dark mode directly from the IDE. So you don't have to go into the the IDE settings and adjust things. It's all built right into the IDE, which is cool. And then also for Android developers, uh, you mentioned that there was a bunch of new, you know, faster reloading. There's worked on tons of new IntelliSense. I did a video with uh, Jeremy recently on all the new features. They have a new Android XML linting configuration. So if you're an Android developer and you're used to their linting, you can do custom configurations, which is really cool. So all sorts of stuff. And we're only in the first two previews of this thing. We got a few more to go. So it's really cool to see this work being done. Yeah, I love the I love the, all the tooling that's that's coming. And obviously, we're talking about Visual Studio for both these both of these, and that's going to be tooling. But it's exciting that all these tooling is really making you as a developer more productive, and it's big steps as far as I'm concerned. Even even um, plist editing. Uh, I was talking with somebody yesterday about plist being a little bit difficult to edit. I mean, it's just. Uh, let me say it's a little bit unintuitive to edit and the new plist editor is going to make things easier so it's just these little tweaks that make life easier and helps you out as as a, as a developer and i also wanted to mention yeah because this kind of gets overlooked especially we're talking about mobile development here but developing web applications in vs mac is surprising especially if you haven't tried it before um when i say surprising it works great um, it's just something that you really don't think of trying to do. Um, the other day, I was trying to uh, put together a Blazor web application or Blazor Pages, it's called, and it or Razor Pages, not Blazor. I'm sorry, and it was great. It's it works just like you would expect over from Visual Studio Windows, and if that's the world you come from, and seeing it work on a Mac just like it should, it's cool stuff. So yeah, give that all, give it all that, give it all a spin. 
So yeah, I'm I'm excited. I've been working on a new app recently. Started started up, and I know it already has an Azure Function backend. It's going to have an ASP.NET backend. It's going to have a bunch of stuff in there. So I'm excited to. I've been doing it all on a Mac recently, so my setup's a little bit funky right now as we're moving around and sharing a lot of the offices and stuff. So I've been streaming a lot from my Mac and going all in on it. So I'm pretty uh, pretty excited about it. So it's been it's been going very well. I'm very excited to see all the great new enhancements with it. So it's very cool. Yeah. And uh, what, what while you're moving around and using everything on a Mac, you know what could be even better for you, James? What's that? Is if startup was faster on any Android applications you're creating. I bet you that that would really, really make you make your day. And uh, so a while ago, we had startup tracing on Android. And so like now we have the next iteration of this is that you can do custom profiles with startup tracing on Android. And what that's going to do is going to give you even faster application startup for it. And so. You can get differences. I mean, some of the differences we, uh, John Douglas did a blog post about this and just doing, it gives you a smaller APK size, but super, super faster startup. And we're talking a factor of two roughly with, um, between just your regular release startup uh, with no startup tracing at all. Um, that's almost a factor of four and, uh, between startup tracing default and startup tracing uh, custom, you get a factor of two. Um, same APK file size. I mean, it shrinks it a little bit, and it's super great. And what it does, it's um, when I when I first saw those numbers, and I thought, well, custom Android, it's going to be impossible to implement. I mean, <laughs> it's it's not not possible, but it's not that hard. Um, right now, it's a little bit of command line work. We're going to have to build it with a MS build it with a switch. But John, he runs through it in the blog posts and how to do all this. And it's not hard at all. Then you edit a ed, edit your uh, csproj file. And that's pretty much it. Um, so what it does the first time when it builds it, it kind of looks through and it it's intelligent enough to figure out what the best way to build this is with a profile. And then once you have it, tell um, Visual Studio MS build that you want to use it going forward. And then that's it. You're done. Super, not super easy. First time you have to do it by hand. And you have to know it's there. That's one of these things. You have to know it's there. And once you have it done, there you go. You're done. Yeah, it's nice to see this progress. And like, hopefully it even gets even easier. Maybe there's just some buttons when you're debugging your app or something. But honestly, if you're thinking, hey, I'm getting ready to debug and ship my application, like, well, it's, it's not too hard just to spend an extra five minutes and it's going to up to um, 60% make your application faster, right? So um, kind of crazy. So kind of crazy. I definitely need to do that when I'm getting closer to ship. I'm still a ways away. But I'm actually about to use a brand new feature. I'm very excited about it um, of Xamarin Essentials. We talked last month that version 1.5 came out, which had a bunch of new features in it. And the one that I was really excited for was the Web Authenticator. Now, this is sort of drop-dead simple authentication to a backend. And um, John Dick, uh, who implemented this, he wrote a great blog post on how to basically log in with Microsoft, Facebook, Google, and Apple sign-in accounts um, using this new feature of Xamarin Essentials and an ASP.NET Core backend. Um, So ASP.NET Core is great because it can handle like a mobile authentication controller, it can talk to the mobile auth provider. And once they log in, it can come back to your application. 
So this is sort of like the de facto way of doing it. And I know that in my application, I'm about to um, add some authentication in there and I'll have to support Apple uh, because it's the you know, new requirements. So I might as well do, you know, um, a few different login providers um, to get that going. And it's quite exciting. It's very, very easy um, to do. There's new documentation on it, but you just add a few little lines of code um, into your iOS, Android and Windows projects. Um, because you have to handle custom URL callbacks, but that takes about one minute to put into your <laughs> to put into <laughs> your code um, and into your info p list, of course. And and then he walks through um, sort of about how you would call it, and it's really easy. There's a web authenticator, and there's also an Apple sign-in authenticator. So there's actually two APIs in there, and um, that's because they go through different flows because Apple is special. And, and then it's really easy. He shows you how to automatically add web authentication to your ASP.NET Core backend. You just add a few little bits of code here. Is a full sample. You parse the backend. And literally, you could have auth done and configured in probably, I don't know, 15 minutes maybe in your app. So it'd be pretty good. It'd be pretty good. So it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, this is yeah. actually a really, really impressive piece of work. Um, authentication is hard to set up usually. And this this takes the difficultness pretty much out of it i mean authentication is one thing you definitely want to get right to and um this is a great job this really is nice yeah and, um, and it's not going to replace like you know msal if you're using that which is going to be super turnkey can handle all the things all of your azure ad all that stuff refreshing tokens also this doesn't refresh your tokens this doesn't do anything in fact everything is out of your app like all this thing is doing is handling the login flow for integrating with existing backends, right? So that's why you're in your application, you're not putting your keys there. Your keys exist on the server. We're trying to, in this one, you know, we have Xamarin Auth, which sort of is the flip side of it, which is like, there's no server, just like put everything in your app, which is, you know, not the best necessarily. <laughs> and don't do it. Yeah, don't do that. And MSAL like does everything it could possibly do, especially for Azure AD and you know, Azure AD, B2C, and like all these different flows. But sometimes, you know, you just need something like this, and then you're good to go. And this is what I need. So the app that I need, I literally don't even need refresh tokens. I just need to sign in once. I need to get a token. I need to get a unique identifier for a user so they could log in again in the future. And that's all I will ever need. Like, I don't even, I'm not even going to call the API of Twitter or Facebook or Microsoft. Like, I just need you know, I just need like something basically um, to log in and then I can pass like a valid token around or something like that. So um, this is kind of like what I'll what I'll need, basically, which I'm pretty excited for. And like and if I need to refresh tokens, I do that on the server. Right. And I would put that into my server and not my my mobile application. So. Right. And what this reminded me of when I when I, when I was reading through it is that it reminded me of easy auth that we have in on the Azure side of things like an app service where it's kind of a plug and play type deal and it's aimed both at the at the backend service side and on on the on the mobile side it's real it's easy to use and um but it takes it's not quite it's not mcell where you're handling everything and it's real it's meant for a full full authentication flow this really it gets you an id back like you said an an object id that you can associate it with the user and um it works with your backend. What I like about this, though, it kind of it takes you away from app service where you're not locked into that. And um, yeah, then you can you can roll with it. And so, yeah, it's it's nice and people should check it out.
So the other thing that I don't know if this is a recurring theme, it's intentional or not, but um, there is a, a post out there that we just did this month about relative sources for binding. And um, so the reason why I say that is if it's a, uh, a recurring thing, because this has been out there for a little bit. And um, so last month you did one, James, about, about um, bindables layouts. And bindable layouts have been out there for a bit. And I said, I wish I would have known about these sooner. And relative sources have been out there a bit. And it's I just think like, well, we should tell people about them because they're super, super handy. And it's like we should have a repeating, repeating uh, series like, here are some things about Xamarin forms that people should know about that we should get it out there so it makes people more productive because relative sources definitely are something that can do that. And what a relative source can do, and uh, I guess the easiest way to explain it is you have your view model, right? And then you have to bind to a list from that. Well, your list is kind of binding off of off a list, off an enumerable within that view model. But a lot of times that list, you might actually have to perform an action up at the view model, like delete something from there. And so you're not going to want to put a lot of commands within that list. That's You, you don't want to do that. So what the relative source does is going to say, all right, for this particular object or this particular item, bind it up for this particular command, bind it up to the view model. So it's saying, all right, relatively pop me up a level and then you can do that. So, I mean, that's the easiest way to think about it. It can do more like that. You can have like a self, bind it to the self and, and, and so on. So it's, we go through it and just kind of explain what it is. And it's been there for a while, but it's nice to have like a little refresher to remind people that this is out there. You can use it. And it solves a really a common problem that people have. Yeah, it's super duper nice. And I'm, I'm really glad that the, the, the team was ever able to come together. I kind of put a call out to the, the forms team and I was like, Hey, you know, they got a bunch of cool features. Anyone want to blog about them? And they said, yeah, of course, you know, and, um, Gerald and, and Javier, they did a bunch of great blog posts on their personal sites. And I was like, Hey, bring them over here because you know, it was great to talk about them over here too. Um, so this was like the first one there. And, and, and I, I literally was writing my app and I was like, I'm going to go to this blog post. And I know there's great docs on it too, but it's sort of bringing those docs to the forefront, right? Like David does a great recap every release of all the new features and then he links to docs, but it's like, Hey, let's deep dive on a feature just a little bit more and then make sure that you bring that to your awareness that gets socialed out and things like that. And then it links back to the documentation. Another one, um, also that was super duper rad that I literally just used again is the brand new simplified custom embedded fonts. Oh my goodness. Gerald did this blog post. Um, and it is awesome. It's really, really simple. Like, so previously what you would have to do to get a custom font is you'd have to go and take your TTF font and you need to put it in your iOS, Android, your windows project. And then each of them like may have a different syntax might be a little bit different here and there, all this stuff. And I believe that James Clancy did a lot of the hard work in the beginning of the PR, maybe did all of it. I didn't need to go look back at it. But what he ended up doing is um, simplifying the entire process to one assembly export. And the blog post is great because it does a bunch of stuff that I didn't even know that it could do. So um, you just go in and let's say you go into your .NET uh, standard library and then you just put in uh, your your fonts anywhere. Like I put them in resources and then fonts and then kind of keep them organized. 
and um, you put in the TTF and maybe it's called like um, cheese curds TTF. Right. And then sounds like a delicious um, font. Yeah. Cause I like, um, right. <laughs> it is very tasty. It's all, it's very, you know, squeaky. Um, and uh, if they're done right at room temperature. And uh, so what you would do then is you put in an assembly export. So this is similar to like a custom render or something, but you say assembly export font and you put the name of it and you're done and you can just reference it, which is super cool. No, but on top of that though, you don't need to edit your info P list. You don't need to change anything. It does it all for you. It's all done for you. It's all done, um, which is super cool. Um, but on top of that, you can also give it an alias. So sometimes font names and like font files have like the, the, the name of it, cheese curves.ttf is like the name of the file, but the, like the, the actual font name might be squeaky, super duper squeak cheese. Right. And you don't want to write that every time. So you can put an alias in this export. So you could just say cheese and then, and then you could just reference it as cheese as your font family. So it lets you like override the default name, which is super cool. I've been using this a bunch, super duper good. Definitely go check it out. Yeah, it's really nice. And and what else is nice about it is that you do not have to use it if you're using the previous way of uh, using custom fonts. Still valid, still can keep on going with it, so you don't have to move over to this new way. But if you're developing something new or you're getting at fonts now, go ahead and use this because it's it's easier to use. And uh, yeah. And so, James, uh, back at the end of March... Um, you put on a big event. I helped out a little bit with it. And um, .NET Conf, focus on Xamarin. I don't know if you remember it or not because you worked all day at it. You might be <laughs> so exhausted you don't remember it. So let me wrap it up for you. So what we did, it was a full event starting at, what time did we start? Like 8 in the morning, went all the way to like 5.30 at night. This is a specific time. And uh, we had tons of people come in. We had we started off with the keynote with uh, Amanda Silver and David and Maddie. And David even had the pants cam going on to show that he was actually fully dressed for the for the event. And then it went on with um, roughly every half hour we had a new speaker come in covering a different aspect of Xamarin development. And it was it was great in, the, in that it was a lot of community member focus. And it covered what the community members' expertise was. So we had people talk about how to create beautiful apps. We had people talk about how to market beautiful apps or like how to, or their experience of where they came from and how they created a great app. And it was really, the, the talks were super, super interesting. And it was just one of these great events. And we have the slides available for people to go out and and check out um, the videos are rolling on a channel nine. I don't know if they're all out there. I know a lot of them are out there right now that people can go in and, and uh, take a peek at. So it was a really good event. I had a lot of fun helping out with it. I know just checking out Twitter during it. A lot of people had a lot of fun. Uh, uh, the social distancing was happening at the time. So what people did, they kind of treated it as a little work party where they got together online with their coworkers and watched it together separately. And it, it was a really great event. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it was definitely a team effort. I appreciate you saying that I did a lot. I just stood there and looked pretty for a little bit, but I had an amazing team of people helping out throughout the entire day. I mean, we had 
you know, 14, 15 speakers throughout the day, all from around the world, all sorts of different time zones from, from Italy to London to um, Brazil to all the different time zones in the U.S. Um, to, to all over the place, which was super awesome. Um, it was, like you said, 50% um, uh, team members from the engineering team and the PM team and then 50% community members. Um, which was super awesome. And yeah, all the videos are available now. They're all on the .NET YouTube and also on Channel 9. We'll put links into the show notes. Um, the live stream was super crazy active. That's on the Xamarin Developer YouTube and the .NET YouTube too. We streamed at both places. Um, this was definitely one of our most successful, I would say, live streams. I mean, we just had people all throughout the day. It was, it was excellent. And uh, in the studio with me, uh, Olia was there from the from the .NET team. She was helping me host, going back and forth, asking questions beside the behind the scenes. Um, Cameron was was back there with Ryan, helping like switch and do all the audio equipment. Then online, you were online helping out with all of the tag board and Twitter stuff. You did a presentation. I did a presentation, um, and then we had yeah, Beth and Javier. Was everyone? You know what would happen is this is the first time that it was com- nearly completely 100% virtual. I was the only in-person session of the entire thing. Um, whereas the Blazor Conf, which was in January, the Blazor.net focus was more virtual only because like it dumped a bunch of snow in Seattle right before it happened. So not everyone could <laughs> get in. So that was a different circumstance, but that was like a good prep. And Javier, what he would do is he would call in um, and get all the speakers prepped and ready, make sure the audio audio was all good. So it sort of was like this, you know, there's people all day behind the scenes making this happen, but, um, yeah, there's, you know, now there's like, you know, 14, uh, sessions out there. You can go, all the slides are available, um, all on this GitHub page. So when you go to this.net presentation, all the.net comps are there. So if you can go to any of the years, there's PDFs in line there, but then also there's a link to a OneDrive which, with all the PowerPoints themselves. And then you can look at all of the notes. We put these together so you can look at the code samples, links to YouTube, Channel 9, to the speakers, YouTube, any relevant links that are there. Um, super duper cool. So definitely um, definitely check it out. I, I was super rad. It gets me excited for, uh, gets me excited for uh, Build coming up. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, Build, if people don't know about it, it's going to be all virtual this year. And it's going to be a new experience for everybody. But yeah, I'm super excited about it, too, because we do now have like this experience. And when I say experience, like we, the know-how now. And um, so it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. But I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And we're to the everybody's first or second most favorite part of the pod cloud news and the azure service of the month and i'm going to roll them together because a lot of times when i start talking about cloud news it kind of like oh whatever i talked about the cloud news is magically my azure service of the month and um so this month i wanted to talk about something that's it's actually pretty amazing and it's i guess i'm going to call low code to no code and i really usually am super super resistant to this because I I'm a very I'm a very old curmudgeonly man and I don't like change and I'd rather use my semicolons and my curly brackets and I don't want to change. I, I think these no code things are bah, I don't want to use it. And then all of a sudden I start using it and I'm like I'm seeing the lights like whoa maybe this this 
there's something to it here. And so that's a very, very long introduction to Azure Logic Apps. Have you ever used these, James, before? So Logic Apps, I, I'm pretty sure I'm using them wrong, um, but I, I do have some. So for my Hanselman app, I do a few things uh, with them. Specifically, I should do a lot more with them, but what I do right now with them is I have Logic Apps that are listening to um, RSS feeds and to Twitter. So right now I have a bunch of Azure functions that like sort of gather a bunch of information from sources. And the thing that I was struggling with is figuring out like, well, when do I trigger updates, right? Because I'm, I'm integrating into other backends, um, different RSS reads, Twitter feeds, and things like that. So I could probably pragmatically somehow hook that up in a function, but I went into Azure Logic Apps, and it's sort of a, if this happens, do this, but then you can insert logic. So like if this thing happens and this is this way, go this way, else go this way and do this other thing. So what I have is on a bunch of RSS feeds, whenever they change, call an Azure function. Or when somebody tweets and does a thing, then call the Azure function according to that one. So it can kind of go down this route. And what's cool is you can also like pass variables into it. So like I have a single Azure function that parses a bunch of different RSS feeds, but it takes in an ID. So what I do is in the Azure, in the Azure Logic app is whenever an RSS read feed changes, it also passes in the ID with it as well. So it's kind of cool where you can pass additional logic down into the things that you're calling into. That's what I've used it for. But again, very simplistic, probably. Right. No, I mean, that's exactly what it, what it's for is that it kind of gives and, and it's a, like a, a visual drag too, where you can bring out these, they're called connectors, you can bring them out. And so what Logic Apps does is a lot like functions in that they react to events. So a function reacts to certain events that happen like a blob storage update or an, even an HTTP request. And you can write a Logic App to do exactly the same. And they have these connectors, like you said, over to like Twitter. And the connection is really, really easy. It takes care of all the plumbing for you, like how to talk to the API. You just have to enter your key essentially to make it work. And then you have a fully connected Twitter and you can do things more than just listen to it. You could also write tweets as well. So for one example, what I'm doing with Logic Apps is that I am um, I have a Office Forms where I'm taking in a bunch of information about that. And then through the forms, I'm cycling in um, around it. And once, once somebody submits it, I can get at each individual field in that form. And then for a field that has multiple responses to it, I can read through that response like in a, a for each loop. And then I can then create a Teams message, enter a work item in DevOps, and then even shoot out an email to myself. So I have all these integrations or um, connectors to these various different services, and it's all drag and drop. And you can do a bunch of if then else's, you can work with variables, you can work with arrays, and it's all, it's visual. And uh, even behind the scenes, what it is, it's a it's a JSON file, so you can actually plug it into your source control and you can put it through DevOps and, and whatnot. So it's it's not all visual, but that's the way it looks. And the connectors are very powerful because we mentioned Twitter, but you can connect it up to Dropbox and things like that. So not only Microsoft specific properties, but also third party. And 
Getting to the news portion of all this is that uh, my good friend Jeremy Lickness and uh, Hanselman did a on fr- on Friday was it Azure Friday episode on this where Jeremy actually goes through and makes it really really simple on how to understand to use these because initially when you see it with all the connectors and all the um, ways you can do things it might be a little bit overwhelming but he makes it really easy to understand and yeah it's one of these things where once you see it and once you realize the power behind it, you you don't have to use functions and write all the code yourself. You could do it if you wanted to, but Logic Apps gives you a way to kind of abstract it away. And it, frankly, it makes you a little bit more productive than having to do all that typing. Yeah, it's super nice when when you, you could do all the logic, like you could put it all into a Azure function or figure out everything, but some of this stuff is just sort of a boilerplate. So might as well just let it pick up the hard work, which is cool. So boom. Yep. So now we're on to it. Everybody's first or second favorite part of the pod. The pick <laughs> they get to of decide. the pod. <laughs> you get to decide the pick of the pod. What's your favorite? Nobody knows. All right. Mine um, is, uh, I may have mentioned it already in the podcast, but Luckily, at the .NET Conf, I gave a session called Spectacular Components for your Xamarin Applications. And it was a presentation that I had to do no work because I asked everybody else to do work for me. And I just combined everything. It's one of my favorite sessions I've ever given. And um, it's amazing to see like just all the amazing libraries and component vendors and all this cool stuff. Go check it out for sure. And uh, Jean-Marie, um, Mr. Sharpnado himself, uh, gave a great presentation on Sharpnado, which is actually a few different packages, but it's sort of his umbrella of a bunch of different custom controls and tabs and all this stuff. But he wrote a great blog post just this week um, on um, his Sharpnado package going acrylic. And acrylic is sort of the um, Microsoft design, you know, card view thingies. It looks really cool, basically. (laughs) Um, Is it like material for Microsoft? Is that our version of material okay yeah correct there's like there's the acrylic and the fabrics i think they're all the same they're all like the same thing but it's it's very much like material for it and he breaks down a good blog post which highlights some other blog posts and tweets about what acrylic looks like and drop shadows and stuff and in fact you're seeing them in windows when you when you start to see new icons for office or your alarm uh, or your calendar, like those are all new acrylic icons, basically. From my understanding, I could be wrong, but maybe the acrylic team will be mad at me. But those are new icons, you know, that are coming up into it. And um, he implemented a new um, acrylic mode for his frame. So he has this material frame, which is a, a material card view, basically. But he added a new property called acrylic, which is cool. And you can control the um, elevation and the different colors and things like that. But if you set it to acrylic, it sort of just does it automatically. And what's nice about that is I started using it in one of my apps. And now I have like three ways to do cards (laughs) Um, based on what I want. I have the built-in frame, which the built-in frame is great. It's a card view. It's just straight card view and you can materialize it. You have pancake view. Pancake view is like the Uber like does everything because it does a bunch of different run rounded corners on every corner. It can do um, dotted outlines. It can do gradients. It can kind of do a bunch of stuff. It's very flexible. Um, and then you have um, the material frame part, part of the sharp NATO package. 
And this is cool because I started using the acrylic stuff in my app that I'm building, and I think it looks really good. It looks very different, and I think that's what I like about it is that it looks different, I guess. Um, and yeah, you just like put it on there, and it totally works, um, which I think is really cool. So I'm 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 digging it quite a bit, and um, been giving it a go, I guess. And uh, I've been I've been enjoying it thus far, and and yeah, and, and it's very dynamic. And I said definitely check it out. I'm going to be using his. Um, in this package, not only the material frame, I'm going to be using his um, tabs too. If you ever wanted custom tabs, um, eventually they're they're in spec for for Xamarin Forms. But this his his tabs are really cool. He has you know um, bottom tabs. He has custom tabs that you can do animations, scrollable tabs that you can put anywhere on the screen, so they don't have to be just on the top or just on the bottom. They can be anywhere, um, so you can do really cool things. And he has like a tab button. So you can make that thing, which is a, you know, a big button in the, in the center one compared to everything else. And it's very customizable. So it's pretty neato. I'm, I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty into it. I just love sort of combining a bunch of these packages that I just learned about. And, you know, I've known about some of them for a while, but then some of them I didn't. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to give them a go and I'm pretty into it. So definitely give it a look. Yeah, it feels to me that right now we're kind of like in the golden age of Xamarin Forms UI controls and development from uh, third-party folks of the community. Doesn't it feel that way to you, James? Like, mm-hmm, there's just mm-hmm. tons of stuff out there. Yeah, so, and uh, speaking of, I believe you mentioned this in, in also your session, and this has been out there for a little bit. Um, it's from some uh, our, our good friends, Dylan and Chase. It's called HTTP Tracer. And this has nothing to do with UIs at all, but it's a great <laughs> it's a great way to debug your HTTP calls. So what you're going to do is that you just plug this in to um to your uh, uh, your HTTP. You, you build it up, plug it into your client, and then in the output window, you're going to see exactly what the, what the HTTP request did. So you can actually see everything that what it went through, what the response was. Success, failure, see the response content come back. Essentially, you're going to get this huge um, debug trace of what happened. And it's just a great way to, to help debug it so you're not going to actually have to hit the debugs or hit a breakpoint, you know, put your cursor over and see all the properties come through. You just see it all in the, de- in the debug output window. So and what I like to think about this, it's not a simple package, but it's a simple package to understand. And so what, a lot of the times, that those are the great things. You know, you put those in there and all of a sudden you understand what it's doing. You see all the headers that were passed. You see the, uh, the response and the content that came back. So check it out, HTTP Tracer. Very cool. I like it. I just love all these, all these things. Ah, I like it. Very cool. Very cool. Well, we did it. We made it through what I thought was not going to be a lot of uh, different code, but now there is uh, quite a lot of cool updates and things like that. So that's pretty rad. Very, very cool. Very cool. We love to talk. We do love to talk. Well, definitely go check out all of the .NET Conf, focus on Xamarin events. There's hours upon hours of good stuff. And I'll also mention that um, on top of that, there's one more blog that I put out um, this uh, month. Um, which is about virtual events and user groups. So kind of call to action here at the very end, because I sort of forgot about it, is that there are a bunch of different user groups that are doing virtual events. And that means anybody can join because they're virtual. So if you know your local user group's not running them, check them out. Um, this is really cool because I recap the event. 
um, the .NET Comp event in it. But I also talk about some upcoming um, events throughout the month um, all over the globe. Um, I also talk about, hey, are you a user group organizer? Like check out some ongoing you know, um, conversations of what equipment to use. Um, John and John Galloway and I, we recorded a full tutorial on how to use Microsoft Teams new live event feature. There's tons of content. So if you're a speaker or thinking about giving a session, take a look at some of the recent .NET comps or the Visual Studio for Mac refresh event and, and go remix one and, and make it your own. Um, of course, we have .NET community live standups that you can listen to all throughout the week, every single week. And uh, we just did one on Xamarin. It was a good one. Definitely go check it out. Um, it was really, really fun. Talked about all the new tooling updates there. So um, you're there. Yeah. And if you are a user group leader and you're looking for a speaker, there's even a link to a user group speaker request form. And we'll try to match people with a community member or from the team. So definitely check that out. We want to keep the community going during these times that we're stuck inside. So there you go. Great idea. Yeah. All right. Thanks, buddy. Well, have a good one. Stay safe. Wash your hands. You know, hold on to that toilet paper. And I'll see you next month. All right. You too, James. Be safe.